Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the show that puts the funk in dysfunction. I've never opened it that way, but I'm doing it now. This is the Mental Health Comedy Hour with Ed Krasnick and Jennifer Kalari will be along shortly. And first of all, I want to tell you that we are a show that unites mental health and comedy. We talk to people from the world of entertainment and we practice mental health skills. We practice resilience skills. We know that mental health is a big topic in the world today. We know that very few people have it. We also know that very few people practice it or know how to practice it. And that's where Jennifer comes in. I put it all on her. She's a child and family therapist. She speaks all over the world. She has a wonderful organization called ConnectedParenting.com. Connected Parenting teaches people the skills of being a conscious parent and self-parenting. We have guests. We have comedians. There's nobody who, who loves mental health more than comedians. Let me tell you something right now. The elusive thing called mental health. Right now, our world is exploding. I don't want to pretend that that's not happening. Hopefully, when you're listening to this, things have quieted down a little bit. It has been a scary time. We're going to talk about a lot of things today. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about parenting skills. And we're going to talk about what's going on in our world. It's time once again for Slogans Run. This is the world of mental health slogans, the world of inspirational quotes. Sometimes you have to find the one that's right for you. Usually the simplest is the best, like I'm okay, I'm enough, I'm safe, I'm safe no matter what. But I've had a lot of weird ones, and uh, I'm going to share them with you now in Slogans Run. It's okay for me to take my power back when I'm outside of Home Depot. I'm safe as long as I'm wearing pajamas. Believe in yourself and stop yapping about it. I'm grateful for trail mix. The present is a gift. Always get a receipt. I'm worthy no matter what my spin class says. I deserve love and happiness if it's okay with you. At least I'm not a murderer. Everybody get your crap out of my face. I'm safe as long as I stay off Facebook. It's okay to not be okay with people who are not okay that I'm not okay. Find a mantra for you. I do want to let you know that we have some sponsors, some interesting sponsors we'll tell you about in a little bit. We maybe have a little quiz that we're going to give. I want to let you know, too, that, that this is a show we deal with everyday mental health topics with everyday resilience skills. If you have serious, serious, serious issues, there are places that we will tell you about on our website and also places that you can reach out for help. We want to take care of you. We want to help you. And we want to connect you with the people who can help for serious, serious issues. At this point, the world is in serious shape, though. And to help us with that, Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer, you have been working with kids and parents for years, mm. working with all kinds of issues. Connected parenting, what does that mean? What does connected mean to you? Well, it's interesting. So, so I've been doing this a long time, 30 years, really. And connection to me really is so connected to mental health. Connection is really, it's the antidote to addiction. It is medicine. It is what soothes us. It's what we all crave. Human beings are social beings. We feel good when we're good with our people. And when we're not, we struggle and loneliness and suffering. It, all of that is healed through connection. We just don't always know how to connect or we think we do, but we don't really know how to. So years ago when I knew I wanted to be a social worker. I'd finished my undergraduate degree already. I, I started working with street kids. So these are kids who were 
working on the streets as child prostitutes. They'd all been deeply traumatized and they'd been through horrible things. And I worked in this group home where we were trained to just, you know, be really kind of tough on them and, you know, don't let them get away with anything and blah, blah, blah. And I, all I saw was children. I just saw babies. I saw kids who've been through terrible things. And certainly when it was, you know, time to have them go to sleep at night, I couldn't just leave them there. So I would rub their backs and I'd tell them bedtime stories and I'd sing them lullabies and these really tough, scary kids. The next day when it was time for me to get to them, you know, to do the things they needed to do around the house, they were much more likely to do it for me. So connection and nurturing is is just a huge way to interact with each other and get the best out of each other. And it truly is medicine. And that taught me that I wanted to know everything I could about compassion and empathy. And I built connected parenting around that. I teach parents really how to parent in this very balanced way. So balancing connection with limit setting. We'll talk a lot about the brain in this episode because that's really important because you're not actually parents. You're actually substitute frontal lobes right? So the frontal love's job is to inhibit and organize and prioritize and motivate. And doesn't that sound like parenting? And the limbic system's job is to freak out and panic and really just be interested in safety and danger. Our job is to balance that with parents. And that's a very quick explanation of what connected parenting is, but it really is a very beautiful, very balanced way to parent in this crazy modern era that we're in. You said something last week and you said some, you said the phrase, we're always standing in a canoe. When it comes to emotion, when it comes to thoughts, when it comes to regulation, when it comes to taking care of ourselves, we're always standing in a canoe. Yes. And, and I actually am standing in a canoe while I'm recording the show. And that's between me and, that's between me and my maker. But I, I, I thought that was so great and a great title for a book. We'll talk more about that, about this balancing act yeah. that yeah. takes place between the brain and the body and between how we transmit these messages that we get called thoughts and feelings. But right now, it's my pleasure to bring in, now I've known, I've known her for a while now, and she has one of the longest running podcasts, I think, in the world. And it's called the Story Worthy Podcast, where people tell true stories. She also has currently, every Sunday night, you can hear the Story Worthy Hour of Power. She also has a game show called Story Smash. She also has a solo show called Surviving the Ride. She's an actress. She's a public speaker, speaks all over the place. And I'm so happy to have you on the show. Christine Blackburn, welcome aboard. Thank you so much, Ed. You, you forgot to mention uh, the most interesting thing about you and I, which is? Uh, we have the same birthday. There you go. Happy birthday, friend. Happy birthday to you. We were born, we actually grew up in the same house, but we were a very distant family. We were emotionally distant, but then we came back together in show business. And what a great way to come back. Now, Christine, we, look, there's a lot that I, could, that I could say about this. But first of all, this is a great match today because you are a parent, I'm a parent, and apparently we're going crazy. <laughs> um, so, so now, 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 let's talk a little bit about this. Now, now, Jennifer, I have to say, Christine is a is a wonderful parent and a very conscious parent, and she's balancing everything. And tell us a little bit, a little bit about what's going on, like right now. Whatever you want to want to say about this, but what is the parenting experience like for you through all of this stuff that's going on in the world, and through all of this stuff that's going on? with you personally right now? Um, Well, I feel pretty lucky because um, I just have one daughter and she's 13. So she's pretty responsible now. And uh, 
is able to manage her own time. You know, she's in seventh grade. I mean, at first I was freaked out because it was like, wait a minute, I'm the teacher? Because like, I didn't get past fourth grade math. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) after division, I was done. The only fractions I know are when I go to the weed store and I either get an eighth or a quarter. (laughs) It's a weekend, sometimes a half an ounce. But the point is, I I am really lucky because she's such a good girl. And uh, I love the idea of your show, by the way, Ed. This is such a great format. And, you know, Jennifer, I saw some of your books. Boy, oh boy, you've got some great. See, I haven't read them before, but I did go on Amazon and I looked at all the titles. I did as much as I could. You know what I mean? As long as far as they'll let you go. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, so this is a really great format and it's, you know, it's pretty public. So, I mean, like I want to tell you, you know, kind of in a public way what's going on. I mean, I know this is, it's kind of therapy related, right, Ed? But it's, I mean, it is yeah. therapy related, but yet yeah. it's also, it's also kind of broad, isn't it? Like we yeah. can all use these yeah. tips. Yes, we can all use it. And that's the key. The thing about, the thing about it is practicing. Like for me, I have a 15 year old daughter, but what I learned from, from Jennifer is I'm a fixer, right? Most parents, they, the, the instinct is to fix. What, what I was learning is that, of course, it's not about fixing, It's about letting them have their experience and learning, but it's all about the intention. The intention Mm -hmm. is to connect with a kid, not to fix. And you have that intention going in, it changes your whole, it changes your whole approach. Yeah, it really does. Um, And I feel lucky because I have always been a stay-at-home mom, as it were. My daughter has only maybe had one or two babysitters ever like it just doesn't happen and so and she you know went to very little preschool just like a couple of months and uh, she's just been like by my side uh, forever but her dad and I split when she was just turning five it's hard no matter what even though he and I are great friends we only live a block apart we totally co-parent so like in a way I'm a single mom in that I'm the only one taking out the trash. I'm the only one buying the groceries. You know what I mean? But right. then again, that's only four or five days a week. So anyway, we do the best we can. I feel like we have the best situation anybody could ask for. Uh, mm. That's a good situation. That is, thanks. I mean, divorce is not what damages kids. Right. It's how you divorce. Right. right, right when right. the parents and your mother and your father hasn't paid. Like when it's that going on, that is so devastating for kids because they love you both and they just, they don't want to take sides. It's so painful for them. It's so hard. So when you can co-parent, you've got that system going, that's the healthiest response rather than staying together when you can't stand each other, right? That's <laughs> Yeah, for sure. For sure. But it's funny because, you know, even though we do all of our holidays together, we do all of our, you know, we do so much together. We're really close. Even so, you know, you still have a 13 year old and no matter what, you know, things are up and down and up and down because that's just, that's just hormones, I believe going on, you know? So I try to just ride that out as, you know, because it's, I I know it's normal. I know it is. Mm -hmm. And something, and something now, Jennifer, you know, we, we talk a lot about, uh, a lot about the brain, about the limbic system, about how things work and about how you can actually rewire your brain. Let me just bring up that this is an unprecedented time. Mm -hmm. Um, Every era has its challenges. You know, on my clock here, it's like I have my clock set for a quarter to looting. There's there's a quarter of looting just now. It's like, when are we going to loot again? You know, what is something that we can do to actually deal with our brains that are going a little bit crazy right now? 
Well, and listen, this is a, I, I'm known for giving very complicated answers, right? Because people are very layered and what's going on in the world is so complicated. And it's a huge responsibility as parents to talk to our children in really responsible, mindful, honest ways. This is not new, what's happening. This has been going on a very, very long time. And there's a lot of trauma and a lot of suffering that certainly Black parents have had to go through. And it's a nightmare, really. So we have to kind of think for a second, what would that feel like to think that your 13-year-old goes out and may not come back? Mm. Right? They may do something as simple as get stopped at a stop sign, and that could be the end of them. Like, we don't think about that. Like, for a lot of us, that's not in our everyday experience, but it needs to be something that we're aware of painfully aware of and and understand our own responsibility in that and those are really hard conversations to have with your kids so that's the first part the second part is all of this is happening during covid there's so much going on that it's it's overwhelming all of us i mean this is a lot and it's interesting we're talking about teenagers because i feel like teenagers are really suffering they're having the hardest time with you know being afraid how they see themselves and their their relationship with their friends and they're bored and they're scared. There's a lot happening right now and it's it can be very overwhelming but the truth is we have to just be kind of brave enough to to face our own responsibilities here and we're going to make mistakes, we're going to blow it, we're going to screw it up and that's how we learn and it's going to be through difficult conversations and looking inward like I've been the, for the last week just looking so deeply inward at my own privilege and the things that I complain about, which are really nothing, and to really have that perspective and, and go find people who can help me, who can teach me, right, about how to, how to do better. Hmm. And, and in terms of calming down, you know, what is the kind of conversation that you have with your, with your kid? Mm-hmm. How do you translate what's going on with a kid? Because I'm not somebody who has the news on in the yeah. background. Like, I don't do yeah. that stuff. I don't yeah. want my kid to hear the news. Yeah, no, I don't either. Um, I have my earbuds or my headphones on all day. But she does watch the news with me at night at 6.30. I feel like I feel like my dad now, you know, like every night at 6.30, I like to sit down and watch Lester Holt, you know, or whatever. I, mm-hmm. I do it at 6.30 and it's the national news. And I feel like, especially at a girl, 13, seventh grade, she should be able to at least hear it in the background. She's not really watching it, but she hears it. But the point is, is I know that she knows what's going on. And all I can say really is, Bammy, I don't know what to say because it's not normal. Like this is, that's with the Trump stuff. I mean, with the Trump presidency is what I'm referring to there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Now with the the riots, I do say, you know, uh, our neighborhood is safe. We're safe where we are. You know, daddy is only a block away. You know, um, we're going to be okay. It's a scary time. People are really angry and we change the channel. You know, I don't, I don't leave anything on for sure. Being immersed in the news and having news on all the time is just not healthy. It's just not. And certainly kids don't need to have the news on all the time, but you want kids to have enough awareness of what's going on that you can have really good conversations about it. And at 13, they're talking to each other about it. Yeah, exactly. So I don't want her in the dark. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're pretty aware and they look to us like, are you going to, how are you going to handle this mom? How are you going to handle this dad? So, so the best way to do it is that we don't know, like we're just learning also how to, how to sort through all this and how to figure this all out. And we're going to make mistakes and we're going to say stupid things. And, and let's just look at the big picture. So the hardest thing when you're, when you're parenting is 
to kind of keep your own stuff in check, which mm-hmm. is really hard, whatever the issue is. You know, and kids, we have to understand they don't have a fully formed frontal lobe yet. That doesn't happen until they're 25 years old. It's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> a long time, right? So we, mm-hmm. we are that substitute frontal lobe for many, many years. It's really not until around 19 that they can actually start to have enough of a frontal lobe on their own, really. Wow. So prior to that, we're doing all the inhibiting, all the organizing, all a lot of the perspective taking, a lot of the motivating, all the inhibiting, like that's what we do all the time. Yeah. And then as kids develop their own abilities to do that, then they self-parent. And that's when we get to step back out of the that, you know, the direct parenting, so to speak, and hope that we've done a good enough job while we do that. It really is so coming back to the standing in the canoe, this is really hard, right? Because there's kind of the old school parenting, which is, oh, just yell at them and the consequences and, you know, all of that stuff. And then there's kind of the newer parenting, which is, you know, know your issues and be really aware of yourself. And, you know, it, anyway, it, there's a lot of very confusing parenting information out there. And the truth is you have to be a good frontal lobe for your kids to feel safe, right? Mm-hmm. Really. And you have to be really compassionate and really understanding and really loving in order for them to figure out who they are, right? And really come into to, to being the best of who they are. One of the things I'm most proud of with Connected Parenting is, is helping all parents understand you're going to mess it up. You're going to screw it up. And, and if you don't, you're going to screw it up anyway, right? Like if you never yell and you're always happy and you're always in a good mood, you're going to mess them up because they're going to go to work. Someone's going to yell at them. And they're not going to have a clue what to do with that, right? So things need to be very real, but they need to be very balanced. So I usually recommend that you start with deep empathy and listening um, and just be really present with them without talking them out of it, without fixing anything. Just be there with them through it for a few statements. And then you can come in with limit setting if you have to. And and Christine, it sounds like your daughter's pretty, like she self-regulates pretty well. Yeah, I think so. Now, now and then I put a little pressure on her telling her how her generation has to save us and she needs to go to her room and start working on a vaccine. Let's yes. go. Well, yeah, let's go already. Mm-hmm. I think that's normal, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, they are going to save us. They have to. We, we have not done very well up until No, we're not doing well. We're not doing well. But how do you stop the instinct to react? Your kid is upset. They're hard on themselves. They're very self-critical. I mean, I'm, I'm not speaking for every, okay, I'm talking about myself. I'm <laughs> self-critical. All yeah. right, when I say you, I mean me. Okay, so how do we calm that sure. down as we're trying to parent a child? Yeah, it's not easy. So let, let's go through some techniques. But what, what's important to know is that nobody likes to have somebody come in and tell you what you should do. Yeah. Right? Often, especially with a 13-year-old girl, a lot of it is venting just kind of venting and complaining and sometimes just asking a simple question to your child, which is like, do you need me to give you advice or do you just want to talk about this? Do you just want to like vent and let it out? And often they're like that, right? Because we we sometimes can't stand, no, often we can't stand our child's pain, right? We want them to feel better so we can feel better, Yeah. right? Right. That's never going to work. I talk a lot about us having sort of two emotions, love and fear. Whenever you parent from fear, I need you to feel better, or you've got to get over this, or there's going to be worse things in your life to deal with. You've got to handle this. Whenever it's that energy, they're never going to feel heard. They're never going to feel like you've created a space for them to feel. Yeah, like my dad used to say, uh, well, he had a lot of things he said, um, but he would say things like, you know, you're skating on thin ice. And uh, he, he would say, uh, 
Well, you know, back then, of course, it was a different time. I mean, he literally called us, you know, like your horse's ass. And he'd say, you shit for brains. And then later in his life, we'd say, Dad, do you remember when you used to call us shit for brains? And he'd say, oh, I did not. You kids make things up. We're like, no, Dad, you called us shit for brains like all the time. So, I mean, <laughs> luckily, I think that is in the past. Yeah. yeah. Or, or like a little moron. You know, like if you watch the Goldbergs, like that kind of yeah. language. Yeah. We, and we that, call, that's, yeah. that's the old school parenting. Listen, there was a lot of damage caused by that for sure. And I think, <laughs> I know. I think we called that the shits for brains era. <laughs> what, I re what I remember it as. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It wasn't great. It was not great. The reaction to that has been this, this sort of really super soft and it, it mm. you know don't say no and your child needs to have a say in everything and we, we've overshot that uh. i always give this example if you were on an airplane which we can't really fly right now but if you could and the captain you know was in there and and it was a very turbulent terrifying flight and the captain wandered down the aisle and went hey everybody how are you like <laughs> We could do 30,000 feet if you want. I could try 20. We could go around the storm. What are you going to say to him? Yeah. Are you crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Why the fucking right? Yeah. So, and for the sake of argument, if the cockpit doors open, the captain's in there screaming, what the, why, is the, why is this red button flashing and how come the control tower's not answered? In either of those cases, how are we going to feel as passengers in that plane? Right. That is such a great example. Right. It's like right? you, ha you have to have a quarterback in place. Yeah. Like somebody has to lead. Somebody you're has to leave. You're petrified. Like nobody's in charge, right? But so often as parents, that's us. We're either screaming and yelling. Or we're like, honey, please, please. please <laughs> right? And nobody's in charge. The way the brain actually works is it needs to feel that inhibition. It needs to feel the frontal lobe lighting up and literally pressing down and inhibiting the fight or flight response. Really, we want our captain to look like, I don't know, Captain Sully. That's what we want, right? We want somebody that's like... <laughs> Super Everybody wants to land the plane in the ocean. Right? No question right? about it. That's what we want flying our plane. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have to be Captain Sully. And so often we're either reacting or we're literally all over the place. We're either screaming or we're pleading or we're just numb. You know what? I don't care. Eat the whole box. I don't care. Let your dates fall out. Like we don't know what we're doing anymore. And you know, and you know what the funny thing is, is that I, you, people think that parenting is exhausting. You know what's exhausting? How you parent. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. oh, wow. The way I parent is exhausting. So I can't blame it on parenting anymore. <laughs> it's more like the way that I do it. One of the things that happens in parenting all the time is if you walked, if you're in the middle of your living room in a giant pole, okay, and you walked in and smashed your head on it every day, what would you do the next time? You'd go around the pole, right? Yeah, yeah. But but as parents, we do the same things over and over and over. We behave in the same ways over and over and over again, wondering why it doesn't work. You know, like yelling is a really good example of that. Yelling doesn't work. I mean, if it did, there'd be a lot of very well-behaved children in the world. It might've worked 40 years ago when there was a whole different community around us where adult, there was this very clear hierarchy between parents and kids. Kids look at you today and they're like, no, I'm not scared of you. You can't boss me around. I'm yeah. call, you know, they, they just, it just doesn't work. And so yelling, listen, we know it doesn't work because I'm sure none of us on this call have been yelled at, screamed at, you know, bawled out and reprimanded and gone, oh, thank you so much. Thank you. <gasps> that was great. That's exactly what I needed. <laughs> and then we'll get to that. Like it just, under no circumstances would that work. The limbic system takes over, feels threatened throws you into fight or flight and you're either terrified of your parent 
or you find them hilarious and that's it. There's nothing in the middle. Wow. I think you grew up in my house. I think you, I think you're basically describing my style of growing <laughs> up. That's my life. It's hard to simulate. You do it through role play. You can do situations, but how do you, how do you actually, you know, how do you practice these things? So there's a few tips, but honestly, the truth is it comes through practicing things over and over again. So usually what happens is we have a kind of set of responses and we end up really reacting to our kids instead of responding to our kids. Mm. And we just do it by habit. So eventually our children, see, here's the trickiest part Ed, about kids and we'll get to something practical in a second, but because they don't have a fully formed frontal lobe, they often need to feel that inhibition from us. And how do they do that? By bugging their siblings, saying no, deliberately not doing things they know they should do, like kind of like setting us up a little bit. So then we blow a gasket and guess what? They get a blast of adrenaline. Adrenaline is a stimulant, <laughs> like Adderall, like Vyvanse. They're literally um, medicating themselves on our freakouts. Oh, gosh. So, right? So we freak out, they get a blast of adrenaline, and that stimulates the frontal lobe. They walk away with the frontal lobe lit up, and we're like a dish rag on the floor, and then we cry ourselves to sleep because we're horrible people. And that's not how we want to parent. And we read so many books, why do I behave that way? We have to understand that we kind of get chemically stuck in that loop. And if we freak out, and then we have to really understand when we're expecting our children not to freak out and not to get angry or have a fit or whatever they have at 13 or younger or older, if they can't control themselves, it's because they're looking at us and we can't control ourselves. <laughs> so they're looking at us going, well, pfft, she can't do it. He can't do it. So I'm 13 or I'm six. You know, what chance do I have? of figuring out how to do it. So part of it is knowing that you have to deal with your own limbic system. So your brain doesn't know the difference between your 13 year old who, you know, is yelling at you and saying, Hey Joe, you're so mean and won't turn the computer off or whatever's going on. And a saber tooth tiger chasing you down the street. It's the same thing to your brain. You feel threatened in the, both of those circumstances. So when your heart starts pounding and you start breathing quickly and your muscles all tense up, your brain thinks, uh-oh, she's under attack. Something bad is happening. There's something dangerous happening. And that's when you lose all of the amazing strategies that you've learned and you just start screaming or yelling or slamming doors or I'm one of these days, you're going to what, what, wherever your dad went to, right? You're skating on thin ice. All of that stuff comes out of our mouth, right? My mom was amazing, but she, she also had a very global language which was actually very funny in hindsight, but very damaging in foresight. <laughs> and it would be, I want everybody out of here. You know, it was like, it was like everybody, everybody or nobody. The world is against me. Everybody's pulling at me. I'm like taffy today. <laughs> I had a very creative mom. So now what, uh, how do you, how do you slow down the train or actually say, Hey, maybe this isn't the best way to go at this moment. Uh, I, it just seems like all these tools are so smart. And where were they 40, 50 years ago, 60 years ago? Like I do know most parents are, you know, yeah, people definitely lose it and stuff. But I think a lot of parents, at least the parents I know, at least they seem, maybe I'm totally wrong, but they seem on the outside to have a good grasp on a lot of this stuff. But mm -hmm. honestly, are these tools new or did they literally not exist? You know what? I think they literally, to some degree, did not exist, right? Because mm. we had a whole culture around us. Just, just think, about, think back to TV programs. There was just this whole hierarchy idea. 
That's so and, true. Leave it to Beaver. You think yeah, of how she yeah. dresses and stuff. You yeah. didn't question mm-hmm. it. And, and kids really respected adults. And, and from a brain perspective, that makes a lot of sense because we're kind of mimicking that brain function, right? So you kind of saw it everywhere. So kids didn't act out in the same ways. And if they did, they got in big trouble. Like, I don't remember kids acting out in class. Mm-mm. And if they did, it was like, <gasps> everybody looked to see what would happen, mm-hmm. right? Kids in the last 25 to 30 years are really not so afraid of adults. Not that we want kids to be afraid of adults, but at the same time, the newer strategies of giving kids a lot of space and, and letting them negotiate everything with certain kids. If you have a child like your daughter, who's pretty well regulated, that's going to be fine. But if you have what I call a gladiator kid, a feisty, sassy kid who just wants to say no to everything they're going to be freaking out. They're going to be like the passenger on the plane. Like who's mm. driving this thing? Like, and they just keep acting out and upping the ante behaviorally until they feel the limit. So this is where we're back to the canoe again. You have to be setting those limits, loving, predictable, sensible limits at the same time, really connecting and, and protecting their sense of self. So here's the hard part. I mean, trying to stay calm in, the, in these moments, but particularly when your kids are using you to regulate They'll also use each other. This is why siblings fight a lot. They bug each other and they, you know, they just do that thing because they're trying to get little bursts of adrenaline all the time. The first thing to do if you're trying to, you know, approach your kids and you're angry and you're upset is just take a second before you go upstairs. Just do some breathing. You know, I talk about this technique all the time, but drop your tongue in the bottom of your mouth. Just let it go soft on your teeth. Your stomach will let go. Breathe. I don't know. Try to picture your child when they were a chubby baby. Try to find anything you can to keep your frontal lobe on. Okay. So that you can access what you know. And then as you're walking up the stairs, you're literally telling yourself, there's no danger. I'm not in danger. I'm going to, you know, to parent my child and I'm going to do it in a way that I'm going to be proud of so that I'm responding to my child instead of reacting. So here's my favorite tip. If you are really angry, you are pissed and you're storming up the stairs and you're yelling at your child and it feels fantastic coming out of your mouth, it's wrong. It should feel inhibited. You should be like, oh, there's so, oh, I'm so, like you should feel your own brain being able to push your emotions back down. So if it feels great, you've lost it. Wow. Mm. And so now it feels great and you're getting a head of steam up. How can you put something in place where almost you say, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to know that I need to take a pause right now. Yeah. And this is the, honestly, this is the hardest thing. And I do nothing but teach this stuff and I still get stuck there sometimes. So the first thing I want to tell people is you're not going to damage your child forever. If you yell, if once in a while you yell, it's not the end of the world. It's actually life, right? It's a national consequence. When, when you upset somebody that they're going to yell sometimes, it just can't be your primary tool. The other thing I want people to know is that you can repair. So let's say you lost it. You go back an hour later, the next day, two weeks later and say, you know what? You remember the other night when I told you to go live at the neighbors? I didn't actually stop and think about how important that show or that conversation was. You can go back and use all the techniques that I teach later in order to repair, which is really great because we're going to blow it. Of course we are. We're human. Our own limbic system loves us and wants to protect us. In that moment, the only thing I can tell you is that's your clue. If you feel great, if it feels powerful, if it feels like the right thing to say when you're angry, it's wrong. Yeah, that's really hard for me because um, I find a lot of power in words. Yeah, that's my strength. That's always been my strength. You know, I respond with something 
witty repartee or really something sarcastic or, or mean. I don't mean to, but that's my, uh, that's my tool. Right. And that's your brain protecting you, right? Because you're afraid. Anyone who's being mean is in pain, mm -hmm. right? In that moment, you're in pain. In that moment, there's not a lot other than breathing and dropping your tongue and trying to recognize that if you're mm -hmm. in that state, you've lost it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But here's a couple tools as you're heading up the stairs, okay? This is when you have a better chance. Literally, you can be saying to yourself as your child's shouting at you, and I've used this and it actually works, or anybody you're having a fight with. In your own head, keep repeating the phrase, don't say this out loud because you'll upset them. In your head, keep repeating, I'm sorry that you're in so much pain and you don't know what else to do. You're in so much pain and that's why you're screaming at me. You're hurting and that's why you're yelling at me. Whatever, some variation of that. Keep saying that over and over and over again in your head. Mm -hmm. And whatever they're saying to you, yeah, I hate you, whatever they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. this, is, this is really interesting because when you can identify that that's a person who is in pain, then it keeps your frontal lobe on. Mm -hmm. Now you're operating from a very different vantage point with your child. And here's the really cool part. Because the micro expressions, the expression on your face is going to reflect what you're thinking, which is empathy and compassion. And I'm sorry that you're in pain. You're going to have very different facial expressions and a very different tone in your voice when you do speak, which will change the dynamic. Mm -hmm. Just that alone will change the dynamic, right? But if you storm up the stairs and you're thinking, I don't believe this, ah, what now? And wherever we're doing as we're walking up the stairs, the minute you see each other, your, your, your amygdala's are going to lock on. Yeah. Right. Your daughter's in a, in a, in a heightened state, you're in a heightened state and that's where the fireworks go. Right. right so right. before you enter the room is when you want to ground yourself and get, get organized. Another yeah. trick, which can work really well is, okay, so maybe you're yelling, but you're not saying anything horrible. I, you have no idea the things that are going on in my head, the things that I would like to say right now, but I'm not going to. Right. So you can actually physically kind of act it out, but you haven't said anything hideous that you're going to have to go back and apologize for that can't right. do lasting damage. Right. Cause, right. cause words, you know, when we throw them out, we, our children, especially, they don't experience us the way we think they do. Mm -hmm. Right. We're always much scarier and much meaner and much louder than we think we're being always. Sometimes I, you know, and I, I tried this a couple of times and it, it's, it seems kind of crazy. I started just sort of noting what I was feeling with the anger. Oh my God, I feel this burning in my chest. I feel like I want to scream. I feel like I, it's coming up in my throat. It diffused it a little bit because the whole thing with me is like trying to create a gap between the thoughts and the reactions. Mm -hmm. And you're try, trying to create a little bit of a gap, a little bit of a pause. So if I can take a breath or if I can even say what I'm experiencing, it helped a little bit. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I always want to act these things out with my daughter. I always want to practice like role play. Okay, I'm going to be angry. I'm coming <laughs> home. You do this. You be me. And now we'll see how I sound. Right. And then you can do that. I think that's brilliant. And kids love that, right? And it allows them to actually feel how you're feeling. No, nobody loves to, to imitate somebody more than you like to imitate your parent, right? It's like that is a license to kill. And it's yeah, fantastic. For sure. For yeah. sure. But now, Christine, I want to ask you, like, are there specific things that you, that you experience or that you go through or situations that you have going on that, you know, that maybe you're, you're that are challenging to you right now? You know, my daughter's having a bit of a, um, a, bit of a hard time with the um, person that I'm dating 
I don't think it's him because he's really, really good to her and uh, he's super funny and, you know, obviously a lot of all the good things. But for her, it's it's tough, you know, and uh, it's been a year and a half, so it's not new. And I think that all of it's pretty normal, but it's just tricky because, of course, you know, she's with her dad and then he's got his girlfriend and then me and I've got my boyfriend. And so, you know, that's a lot of things going on. I think it's normal, but it would be nice to have some tips like to how to um, how to make them bond like with a blink of an eye. That would be best if you there, tell me how there, to do that. <laughs> or are there any or are there any good drugs? Maybe. Yeah, any drugs at all? Um, anything like is. that? There is actually a very powerful drug called oxytocin. Connected uh. parenting is really based on that. Oxytocin is the chemical, is the hormone that releases in moments of deep listening and connection. And when you're laughing your head off and when you're snuggling and when you're helping and you're really joining and connecting with each other, oxytocin releases. And oxytocin is a powerhouse. First of all, it's free. You don't need a prescription. You don't run out of it. It increases neuroplasticity. So it makes your brain smarter, makes you make connections faster. It's a cortisol blocker, which is fantastic. It strengthens your immune system, which is really important in the era that we're in right now. And you get the benefit. So you, you get the bounce back. So, you know, I teach something called the calm technique, which we probably don't have the time to talk about today, but it's a way to deeply connect with, with anyone, but especially your children and then oxytocin releases. So it's interesting you said that, but let's talk about what your daughter's going through because listen, no matter how lovely and, and, and well, everyone handles the divorce, kids always have a dream that yeah. they're going to get back together. It doesn't matter if you're divorced and you're 40, like it just, it's what happens. So whenever you're connecting to another person, that dream kind of fades a little bit more. Now, the advantage to everybody having a partner is there could be four fantastic adults supporting and loving this child, which Mm -hmm. is great. And when everybody gets along and everyone has the child's best interest at heart, that's a very beautiful thing. Um, but, But for your boyfriend, which is important, the more you try to get a kid to connect with you, the more you try to show how, you know, I'm pretty good too, and how about me? And whenever it has that energy, even a lovely 13-year-old like your daughter is going to push back against that just a little bit. Yeah. So what I do in Connected Parenting is I teach people how to steer into the skid. So a lot of what I teach is absolutely paradoxical. So what your boyfriend should be doing is really joining about how cool her dad is and yeah. reminding her that he in no way wants to get in the way of that. And the more that he takes that energy and waits, the more she'll come to him. And the more everybody wants it and is like, pushing it, even if it's not something you're saying, it's just something she can feel. She's going to respond to that by going, no, I'll do it in my own way, at my own time. I don't like this. This comes up a lot with parents and little kids, like little ones always want their mommies, right? And then when daddy comes in to put them to bed, I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I want mommy. No. And then the dads get so hurt, like, so upset. And so the way that I teach them to deal with that is go, you know, I totally get that. I want mommy. Mommy's so soft and she's nice and she's this mm-hmm. and she's that. I totally get why you want mommy. Let's go get mommy. And then what usually happens is the kid goes, oh, fine. It's okay. You can stay. Like as, as yeah. long as once you change the push-pull, something very, very different happens. Yeah. So I would say, you know, if, um, I don't know your boyfriend's name, but if he could kind of learn a little bit about how to just mirror and how to use the calm technique, which you don't have to do when someone's upset. You can do it when they're just just in general conversation, it's fantastic. Oxytocin will release. And those are the people that you just want to spend time with, right? Those are people you just feel good around. Every interaction is like, huh, that felt wonderful. I like that. That felt good. I'm going to come back for more. 
that's important. And whenever possible to really join with her around her dad and how close she is with her dad and how cool of a person her dad is and what her dad does. And the more she does, he does that, the less she'll feel pulled. Yeah, that's good information. Um, and the good news is like in our situation, uh, they have become, you know, somewhat friends and, you know, whenever somebody drops off or we don't, we walk to each other's place cause we're so close, but like, you know, that we'll always hang out the four of us chatting for a minute or whatever, you know, and when we don't live together or anything, he only comes over a couple of days a week, you know, on the weekends really when she's at her dad's anyway. And obviously I don't have it together, but I feel like I have a good, I have a good handle on it, but yet like there's still, yeah, but there's still a bit of a thing. And I think that's where she's just 13. That's just the way it's going to be. And then I also think this whole, you know, the quarantine thing has upped the ante because she's really seeing exactly what I do all day long. Like, you know, the way I live, she sees how I'm working and because I'm home, I work at home for the most part. And so I don't know, it's a combination, you know. And at 13, I mean, that frontal lobe, and she sounds very mature and she, she, she certainly sounds like a very thoughtful kid, but she's only 13, right? So the ability of the brain to take that much perspective, there's still this sort of subconscious, if I like this new boyfriend, well, he's not so new, if I like the boyfriend, am I betraying dad? Yeah. Like, can I hold both of those relationships together at the same time? And of course you can, but that's something that you really have to understand and grow into and gain that perspective. Because kids, even up to 13, are very black and white about a lot of things, right? So yeah. there's still this worry that if I really like my mom's boyfriend, and I have a lot of fun with them. Is that okay? Have I betrayed my dad somehow? Mm. And so the more you talk about that, and that's why the calm technique is great, because she might be feeling these things without even knowing that she's feeling these things. And you don't have to have these big conversations that last forever. You can just drop these little pebbles and have like a two or three minute conversation where she walks away going, that felt good. And huh, Hmm. I hadn't thought about that. That's how she, she gains insight and grows. And and that's how we, we really are, you know, not only are we frontal lobes, but we're architects of our children's brains, right? We teach them about the world and we teach them about feelings and we teach them our values and our, we can't help it. That's our job. And they're watching how you respond to your own thoughts and feelings yes. and how you're, what choices you're making or not making. You can learn more about the Calm Technique. Go to ConnectedParenting.com. You can learn more about Jennifer Kalari's work and about the Calm Technique. And also, you've been listening. You're listening to the Mental Health Comedy Hour. This is Ed Krasnick with Jennifer Kalari and our special guest, Christine Blackburn, from the Storyworthy Podcast from the story Worthy Hour of Power, which you can hear on Sunday nights. You know, before we wrap up here, Jennifer, can you just say what the Calm Technique is? Like very briefly, can you just say what, the, what, the, yeah, what it stands so, for? And then we'll get into it on, on other shows. Sure, sure. So it stands for connect. Like, so connect first, right? Then affect matching. So the look on your face has to be similar to their face. So if they're really sad, then you have to look on, not exact, because that's weird, but if you're angry when they look sad, or you're smiling when they look sad, there's not going to be a neurological match, and you're going to get that oxytocin flow. So it's really just matching the affect. And then there's the listening part where you choose your words, and you can paraphrase, you can summarize, you can clarify, and you can wonder out loud. Um, this is actually a therapy technique, by the way. It's not a parenting technique. And I've, I've kind of turned it into sort of my version of uh, how to take this incredible therapy technique and have a really deep moment of listening, which is really healing, and it's medicine. And then the M, of course, stands for mirroring, so that when you've 
pulled all those things together, you've had a really powerful mirroring moment. And it allows you to repair. It allows that closeness. And it's funny, Christine, you were talking about your dad who's like, you're on thin ice and you're morons. And, and not that I'm saying it's okay to talk to your kids that way, but when you're super close and you know that, that there's a deep connection with a ton of love there, the more you do this, the less careful you have to be. I mean, it sounds ironic, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. the closer you are with your kids, you know, you know, with my kids, you know, if they're on the phone, if I'm on the phone or something and they come in, I can say, get out, get out. And they're going to be like, what's with her instead of being hurt, right? And devastated by that. The best way they can put it is it gives your child emotional shock absorbers. It just allows them to handle stuff and just kind of, because life is going to throw stuff at you. This is resilience. This is where you get resilience from. I feel a little bit better. I want to tell you very briefly, before we say goodbye, I want to tell you about two new sponsors. One of them I'm very excited about. It's by Moleskin. It's the new Moleskin Overthrow Your Government Journal and Organizer. Um, now, this is a very timely thing. You can put, it has a compartment for your pepper spray, your lip gloss, your tear gas, and your flamethrower, which comes in a portable size. And then you can write about your experience in your beautiful hardcover journal. And that's the Moleskin Overthrow Your Government Organizer and Journal. The other one that I like is Craybands. Craybands is a new sunglasses product that reflects yourself. It's an inner reflective coating for the parents. The parents can not only see their own thoughts, but also the underlying thoughts of their kids. And the UV protection, which is an under violence project, helps <laughs> you see better and have better vision. You can think of it like a social emotional MRI. Craybands. Let us ban the cray-cray that gets in the way-way. Okay, there you have it. The cray-bans. Okay, so, so this is the Mental Health Comedy Hour. We'll be back next week with a brand new show and brand new issues. You can be sure about that. I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari and our special guest, Christine Blackburn. Have a great week and stay safe. Thank you, Jennifer. That was so wonderful. Thanks, Ed. Um,